0: Hey, guys. Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. So the scripture reading for today is from Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 10. Um, It's entitled Jesus and Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have defrauded and I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So I'm going to invite up our speaker tonight, Derek, um, and we're going to pray for Derek and kick this party off. So. Father God, I thank you so much for this night. Um, thank you for your love. That's why we're here tonight. Thank you for your son, Jesus, uh, who you sent to die for our sins and um, bring us to yourself. Um, and so we're excited, Father. Show us um, who you are. Show us who Jesus is and the truth of Jesus and your message. Um, and speak to each of us today. I thank you so much for Derek. Um, just speak to him tonight. Use him mightily um, and give him words um, to move us. So thank you so much. Jesus Christ, my pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Uh, thank you for having me. It's my honor. And it is a privilege to be here. My mother worked at uh, Duke most of my life, so Durham is home for me. So this is much of a homecoming. Um, Before we jump into the talk proper tonight, I want to begin with a disclaimer. Uh, This is not going to be an academic talk. When you think about uh, a large group focused around the question, who is Jesus? Um, You might think that we'll talk about things like the reliability of the New Testament or uh, inspiration of the scriptures or tackle some tough questions like um, why do bad things happen to good people um, which are all very important questions um, but but tonight is not going to be an academic talk um, for two reasons. First I actually decided I'd look up what the word academic means um, and it was depressing because I have a couple of degrees and consider myself an academic but um, some of the phrases that I came across uh, in the Oxford English Dictionary where academic means to have no practical purpose or use. It hits a little too close to home, doesn't it? It, Learned or scholarly, but lacking common sense. And this, this describes days and days in the library, if nothing else does. Scholarly to the point of being unaware of the outside world. Right? So... This isn't going to be an academic talk. The the second reason why um, is because I believe that when we talk about Jesus, we talk about God, we talk about our spiritual lives as human beings, each of us are on two journeys. I discovered this when a student at UVA dropped her notebook from her New Testament class on my um, table at the path, which is where we have lunch. And she said, I want you to take me through this whole thing. I, I used to have a faith, but now I don't after this class. And I, I want you to go through this notebook with me and tell me the other side of the story. So he spent this whole year doing that. It was, it was great. And at the end of the year, she said, you know, I really believe the Bible is reliable. And I said, well, well, well tell me a little bit about you and Jesus then. And he, oh, I haven't even started that journey yet. And, and it was a true moment for me That, that we can um, the, the first journey that we're on Is really a journey of our mind It's a. We, we, we think that it's a journey towards God But it's not it's really, it's really between our minds And the ideas and the propositions of Christianity Are we comfortable with that? And that's a very important uh, journey um, and, and we have a lot of questions I want you guys to hear me say That the questions that you have are good But um, I could sit here and sufficiently answer All the questions you might have And yet That does not necessarily mean That you will have understood Or um, come closer to a relationship With Jesus And so that's the first journey The second journey Is really a journey That Jesus has forced all of us on In the book of John Jesus with these words He said, I am the way the truth and the life profound statement especially for those of us who are seekers of truth I mean, think about it Jesus says I am the way so anyone who is ever on a spiritual journey in those words Jesus has tied every spiritual journey to himself I am the way to know God He says, I am the the truth. So anyone who wants to know truth, the truth became relational on that day. Right? It's just something we can believe with our minds that, that somehow those of us who seek truth have, have got to stumble or bump into this Jesus. Right? And then he says, I'm the light. Anyone, so anyone who has an existence, do you all have existences? Yes, you do. right? Your existence somehow, he says, is tied to me. Right? And so that puts us on this totally different journey, which is the journey of the heart. Um, and the end of the journey isn't just, who is Jesus? The end of that journey is, is the question, who do you say that I am, right? It's relational with him. And so um, what we're going to do today is actually look at that second journey. I want to speak to that and actually look at a passage of scripture that we just read. And so before uh, we jump in proper, let me pray for us uh, again really quickly. Jesus, I do not want to commit the mistake of being someone who talks about you without talking to you. And so I just ask that you would be here, that you'd be revealing yourself. And that the words that we uh, read and the the things that we talk about tonight would be uh, pleasing to you and that you would uh, be here even by your Spirit teaching us what you want to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin tonight by talking about two Christs, the tale of two Christs. These are two images of Jesus that have dominated my thought over the last 15 years. I feel like they're sometimes two very polar opposites, and yet I think they have formed more of what I... um, Thought about Jesus before I um, became a Christian And most of my students have wrestled with these two images of Christ in some way The first image um, uh, of Christ became very clear to me When I was watching a documentary called Gods and Gays Uh, On our campus we have uh, LGBT Society Which is a lesbian, um, gay, bisexual, and uh, uh, transgender society Uh, A couple of our small groups had really good friends in their lives who were uh, homosexual students, and they wanted to hold this um, movie viewing on gr- on grounds, which was awesome. And so we had about 15 or 20 people from our Christian fellowship. They were the only people there that are not a part of the LGBT, right? And so we come in and we watch this, um, we, we watch this documentary, and there was a just chilling scene at the beginning uh, a... a, a, a Gay uh, rights, a group in, um, I'm trying to remember, I think it was in Colorado, was hosting a uh, protest outside of the Focus on the Family headquarters. So there's this protest going on. And a bunch of Christians from local churches got up and, um, and decided to protest the protest. you know, that's what we do, right? So it's like, you know, the best way to tell people about Jesus is to make bigger signs. And so you've got people out there with like these gigantic signs. And when I read the things on the signs, it terrified me. God hates faggots. God hates queers. And and as, as we watched the movie, And as we had discussions afterward, this very clear image of the Christian God was put on display for us. He he was a God who wants nothing to do with broken people. He's wrathful. He's full of hate. He's made war against anyone who doesn't live by a biblical morality. He's closed off. And He wants nothing to do with sinners, other than maybe to obliterate them at some point in history. That's the first, and this is the angry, mean, vengeful, wrathful God. The second Christ um, happened to me, actually a couple of times uh, that I've gone to preach at different um, churches and conferences. Um, I remember one church in particular asked me to talk about justice. What's the, what does the Bible have to say about the fact that children in the world are sold into the sex slave trade? What does it have to say about racism? What does it have to say about um, uh, different forms of ethnic injustice and war? I'm along with that. That's a great topic. Let's preach, right? The pastor kind of pulls me aside and says, now, now, Derek, we want you to make this sermon happy. Seriously? Like, you know you asked me to speak on justice, right? Happy? And I I said to one of the guys on staff said a friend of mine, I said, if you wanted me to preach on happy, you should have asked me to preach on rainbows and jelly beans. Like, because I'm getting happy just thinking about them right now. Like, I love rainbows and I love jelly beans. They're awesome, right? But don't ask me to speak on justice. And as we talked together, it became very clear that, that what they saw as as the right way to talk about Jesus with other people was that they they had to remove things that were important to Jesus into orthodox Christian thought. Things like repentance, holiness, justice. And so basically, the way you introduce someone to Jesus is to remove everything That makes him Jesus. Everything that might be offensive, and so this is Buddy Jesus, right? This is like Jesus with one hand on your shoulder and the other one like a giant thumbs up, right? Everything's okay. (laughs) Everything's good, Derek. And and this Jesus asks nothing, demands nothing, condemns nothing, believes nothing. And so we're stuck between these two images, right? That either either God is God that condemns us. rules, law, wrath, or God is this God that completely enables us, right? But why why I love Luke chapter 19 is this. I I don't believe we have to settle for these two images of Jesus. And I'm convinced that uh, as we look at um, the passage tonight, you will find that actually Luke 19 blows them away and something so much more beautiful and compelling emerges. I'm going to actually jump down real quick and get my water because I need it. Um, So the passage was read really well, and so I'm not going to read it again for us. But I want to make five points for you tonight quickly. Um, What what can we learn about this second journey from Zacchaeus' story, this journey of the heart, this journey of our own relationship of knowing Jesus. Uh, before I, I jump in, we we'll give you a little bit of background about where this story happens because it's important to what we're going to talk about. This story uh, occurs in the city of Jericho. Now, if you know anything about Jericho, it's about uh, if Israel, if Jerusalem's here, Jericho's about 15 miles to the northeast, right? Something very unique about Jericho, it is one of the oldest probably the oldest settled city in the world. More people have lived there for more time than anywhere else. It's 850 feet below below sea level. Okay? It's ridiculous. Um, In the middle of an arid, dry desert, there is this spring that flows up out of Jericho that floods thousands of gallons per minute, which is why it's known as a really great sort of lush, Really, at the time of this passage, a resort destination for the rich rulers in Jerusalem. So you've got arid desert everywhere, and then you've got Jericho where the rich people hang out, right? It's kind of like the hills, right? It's sort of like where the ridiculously rich hang out all the time. That's Jericho. Um, At the time of Jesus' ministry... There was a group of people called the Hasmoneans. They basically were the the, the ruling class at that time. They lived there. Herod the Great, if you have ever read the Bible, New Testament stories of Jesus, he had three palaces, three, in Jericho. That's a lot. Um, That's the kind of environment you're in. This is where the wealthy and the rich are. And it's important that we find Zacchaeus here. So what are the five things that we want to know about this journey towards Jesus? who he is and what do we do in response to him the first is that anyone can be transformed by an encounter with Christ anyone can be transformed by an encounter with Christ Jesus coming to Jericho in and of itself was invitational was him seeking out people who had been really written off by the religious establishment of the day These are are sinners and tax collectors, right? That's a phrase that occurs in the New Testament all the time. Sinners are really bad, but then tax collectors are just so much worse, right? Like like the sinners of the sinners, they're tax collectors, right? This is where they hung out. And so um, Zacchaeus was specifically, like he was bad in a special way. Like that's how they would have seen him. Um, He was seen as a traitor to the Jews of the day. Because he would exploit his own people financially and then give a lot of that away to Rome. Right? Felt like it's complete and totally ostracized by his people. And so you see this in the New Testament often. Jesus is interacting with the people no one else wants to. He's interacting with prostitutes. He's interacting with lepers. He's interacting with sinners and tax collectors and all these people, right, who, who the religious establishment has written off, they find Jesus captivating. Like they just want to eat meals with him and hang out with him. Like they, He is completely compelling, right? And so when you see that, that Zacchaeus... Is front and center in this story and you're reading this 2,000 years ago you're thinking, if God can change this guy's life he could probably change mine? anyone's? it's beautiful and amazing now there are two things that usually convince us that we are unworthy right? that God can't change us or doesn't want to be involved With us. Two things. First is shame. Shame is when we condemn ourselves. A little story I want to tell you guys about the difference between shame and embarrassment. My students who've heard this before, I apologize because they've heard it like 30 times. So I worked on staff at a church in New England when I was at seminary, and one of the marriage staff there, married pastors there, told this story about a family in the church. And so there was a guy and a girl who had been dating for like eight months. And um, they're going to be married about five, six months away, but they're just like, we just can't wait. Just can't wait. Like, we're going to get married anyway, so we just need to go ahead and have sex. Like, we just need to do this, and like, I've got the perfect weekend. The guy thought it all out. parents are going away. going to fly away, you know. We'll have the whole house to ourselves. And so dad and mom leave for the business trip on a, like, Friday afternoon, right? They're gone, bam. And they run upstairs. They're doing whatever they do upstairs, right? And then uh, he gets a phone call, like, 20 minutes later, like, Son, I'm so sorry. You know, I left all of the paperwork that I needed to fax ahead to the business uh, people, you know, like for the meeting. I left it downstairs in the basement. I need you to go down there, print it out, fax it. And so, all right, fine, I got it covered. Hangs up the phone, picks up his soon to be bride, totally buck naked, right? They're, They're both in the wrong, and they're running down like three flights of stairs. And so he carries her downstairs into the basement, at which point the lights get flicked on and there's a surprise engagement party. I'm just going to let that sit in stew for a while. You can express it. It's it's the worst story I've ever heard. I'm I feel guilty for telling it to you. Right? Okay. Now, now if you are those people and you're running down the stairs, what you feel at that moment is shame, right? Like that's that is shame. Like you know, and, and shame is shame is our body and our minds way of telling us we were not created to do X Y Z. Right? Like you feel bad, broken, guilty because we were never created for sin, and yet we love sin so much. Right? And we have to. That's shame. Now, now if if, if you're married and you come down those stairs, like you're embarrassed, right? Like like that's the story people tell. You know, at uh, family picnics for the rest of time. You remember the time when so-and-so and and -and so-and-so were naked? Ah! You know, like, like you never get to escape that story, but you are not ashamed, right? Do you get that there's a difference there? Shame is when we condemn ourselves, right? And and it creates this environment where we think that God cannot, does not want to do anything with me. This is my dad's story. My dad got 99.9% of the way to Jesus and said to me, There's just something I've done that I don't think God can forgive me for. Condemned himself. Shame, right? The other is judgment. Now, judgment is when other people condemn you, not your fault, other people's stuff. And so, um, and judgment can look a lot of different ways. I was preaching with some students, Nathan actually, um, on racial reconciliation at uh, Lynchburg College a couple of weeks ago, and this uh, white girl told this story of how she's been dating a black man for like six months, and they have tr- like they went to church, brought him to church, immediately ostracized and judged. Why would you date someone outside your own race? You're not welcome here. Go to another church. Three churches did the same thing to them. We 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 don't like that stuff here. And she said to us, I don't really like Jesus anymore. I'm having a hard time having a hard time loving God because of the judgment of other people. The two things that can keep us from believing that God can transform our lives or do something in us. They're both lies, by the way. But, but Zacchaeus stands as an example. Anyone can be transformed by an encounter with Jesus. The second thing. Don't let any obstacle stand between you and an encounter with Christ. Now, Zacchaeus had a lot... He had two different kinds of obstacles, really, in this passage, as you observe and read through. The first are personal obstacles. He was a wee little man. Right? Those of you that grow up in the Bible uh, belt... I I actually didn't become a Christian until, like, 19, so I don't know the song, but Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Like, we have these songs about Zacchaeus growing up in our Sunday schools. Like, he he was small of stature, sure. That's a big one. Um, But but, uh, beyond that, he... He humiliates himself to get a picture of Jesus. To see him. Again, like, you know, like basically, by climbing up the tree, he he has a chance to sort of expose himself to other people below him, right? Which was a no-no in this culture. Like the one thing you don't do is ever expose yourself. So you've got like a robe climbing up a tree, people might see up the robe, right? That's a bad thing, right? No one wins in that situation, okay? And, uh, right, and so, but but he is so captivated by seeing Jesus that he doesn't care. This is why the prodigal son story is so amazing in the Bible too, because to run after the son, the father's got to hike up the robe and run. Humiliating. He brings shame on himself when he does that, right? Like, so so he he pushes through the personal obstacles and says, "Look, I'm going to plan to find Jesus. He's going to be a mile up the road. I'm going to get up in the tree, wait for him to walk by." But he does not allow any personal obstacles to stand in his way There are religious obstacles in his way as well Uh, It's a sycamore tree Um, It was considered unclean because it bore a fruit that was fed to pigs And so uh, within the religious culture of that time it It would have made him spiritually unclean to touch a sycamore tree Personal obstacles, religious obstacles Now, I understand that in the current environment in this country, anyone who's fallen after Jesus, Christians are probably your biggest obstacles to get to them, right? Like, just being completely honest. I think that most of us in the church have done a horrible job of making the path to Jesus as clean as it can be. Um, There's a missiologist, his name's Ed Stetzer. He he was actually on CNN, they did this poll. Worldwide and other places, found out that Christianity is growing in every other country, but here, every other continent, the church is growing, not here. And, and, and in the interview on CNN, they're asking him questions about it, and, what, and basically what he said is what we what we discovered is this: the Bible talks about Jesus as a stumbling block. That when you come to relate to him, there's a place that you, you just trip over him. Like he's just He's difficult. He makes claims of your life that are hard. But what we've discovered is that people are tripping over the church before they get a chance to trip over Jesus. Right? And, and so I know I know there's a passage in the Old Testament that my wife loves. She, um, my wife's an artist. She's gorgeous. And she's with child, by the way. Our first baby's on the way March 4th. Um, but I love my wife because she's an artist, And she made this beautiful thing. It's called the Job chest. Artistic renderings from the book of Job, right? Beautiful, beautiful. And then she put scriptures on it and messed the whole thing up. Like, because I love it, but it's like hard words are in the book of Job. So on the top of this beautiful thing, in beautiful script is, would you discredit my justice to justify yourself? (laughs) I'm like. Man, that's a bold woman. Like <laughs> that's like people come in our house and they're like what a beautiful child. Oh, okay, uh, can we go somewhere else? You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> you know so but but like that, don't allow like would you discredit God because of the bad actions of some of his followers? Maybe they've misunderstood the whole point of Christianity. Would you discredit him to justify yourself? Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. I love this passage because it tells us. That, that, that let no obstacle stand in the way of having an encounter with Jesus. So Jesus can transform anyone. Don't let anybody stand, any obstacle stand in the way. The third thing, I think that Zacchaeus provides for us a beautiful example, a true example of what repentance looks like. Of, of what coming and following Christ actually looks like. Um, the church throws around words like repentance, salvation. I got saved. Although when I was a Christian, I have no idea what that meant. I was like, were you falling off a cliff? Like what? I don't like. Well, what was it? Like, all this language we don't understand, right? This is a concrete example of what repentance can look like. If you remember in the reading, Jesus says, "Today salvation has come to this house." I grew up in the south. I grew up in Durham, and so I was like, I didn't see Zacchaeus pray any prayer of salvation. Like, aren't there some? any supposed to pray like these three things? That's kind of how it happens, right? How, how, how did salvation come to his house if he didn't pray the prayer I was supposed to pray? Beautiful. He tells us what it looks like. Let, let me break some of this down for you. So so Zacchaeus follows Christ, and he says this ridiculous stuff. Like, okay, I'm going to give up half of what I own. Everything I stole from someone, I'm going to restore it fourfold. And it's in his response, I think, that we see the nature of, of repentance, We see that that, that true repentance leads to a, a changed and transformed life. So Zacchaeus said, look, I, I give half my uh, stuff to the poor, and if I take anything by false, I restore it fourfold. Why fourfold? Why not twofold? Or four, fourteenfold? Like, like, why fourfold? Exodus chapter 22 tells us, So, in the religious law of the day, which Zacchaeus knew he was avoiding, right, like, he's like, I know what they believe, but I'm avoiding it. In Exodus chapter 2, and in Exodus 22, 1 through 15, restitution looked a lot of different ways based on what you did. And when you got to fourfold, it was the statement of complete and total guilt. Right? Like, you gave twofold if you accidentally stole somebody's money. Like, there's a bunch of money on the table, and you know, like half of it is yours, and you just took like 75% of it. Like, okay, okay. Then I would restore twofold. That's an accident. Can happen to anybody, right? If, if there's a bunch of money on the table, I'm taking all of, it, all of it, just that you know. So, um, you know, so, so he's in the fourfold category. So he, he basically was saying boldly, "I'm a crook. I'm a thief. I've exploited people, and he's doing it in front of Jesus and all his friends." This isn't public, right? And so for those of us that coming to Christ, and Jesus does this all over the New Testament, but it, is, it always is accompanied by a serious look at our sin and the reality of our life. They don't just slide in without not dealing with it. Jesus wants, he knows everything. <laughs> You're not going to hide some of this. He really wants to deal with you exactly and completely where you are. Right? So there's this admission on Zacchaeus's part it's really beautiful. Now, and on top of that, he goes crazy because there was no law requiring him to give half. He's like, I'm going to make right for what I've done wrong. And then you know what? I love money more than anything. And so I'm going to try to get rid of it's hold on my life. I think he recognized that Jesus needed to have that kind of hold and place in his life. And so he said, money is my God right now. And so I give half of all I know. can't worship what I don't have. Right? And, and the Bible puts it in a different way. Matthew 3. Jesus says it this way. A bunch of Pharisees are coming out to him uh, during his baptism. And he says, You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves... We have Abraham as our father. Zacchaeus is a story for us of, of, of bearing fruit that's in keeping with repentance. Just saying, yeah, I think Jesus is the most true of all the religions. I think Christianity is the most true. Like, that is not repentance. That's you mentally agreeing with something that Christians believe to be true. But, but what kind of change is going to be registered by your life? Do you really want to give that over? to him. That's what we're seeing in his life. Um, I I love in that passage too that there are excuses. Like, but we have Abraham for our father. Like, we do this all the time. Right? I I make excuses before God all the time. Like, I grew up in church. I really need to change. You know, like, or I'll do it later. I'm a good person. I really care for the poor a lot. You know, like, Jesus is saying in that Matthew 3 passage, like, you don't have an excuse. Like I understand Abraham's your father. It doesn't matter. But what about a life that bears fruit that's in keeping with repentance? That, that, that's what we see in Zacchaeus. Is that to encounter Christ as he really was was something that was transformative for him. He was never the same. Um, Ace, you can never tell any other staff workers this, but I'm going to actually agree with Dr. Phil on something. I don't like Dr. Phil a whole lot. Um, some of you may love him. I apologize. Um, we got some people that live in our house love Dr. Phil every day, three o'clock, four o'clock. Phil Oprah, bam. That's I like come on to it every day. But um, he was talking about Michael Vick of all things. Somebody else, like something else, no one wants to talk about too. He said this. He said, "I don't care what he says at a press conference. Has he fixed what's broken inside him that made him murder dollars?" what he asked, "Is he?" Has there been real transformation? Is he a new person? I can feel totally got it right. Like that's that's the question. Like it's not. You are you. Have you done good stuff? Like are you a new person? Is Jesus making you made you into a new person? Right. That's what we're seeing in the life of Zacchaeus. Um, The the fourth thing. um, Jesus wants to inconvenience you because He loves you. Jesus wants to inconvenience you because He loves you. You see this in this passage. Part of the rhythm of of Christ in the New Testament is that He he totally invades people's lives. We we talk about Jesus in this like, He was this guy that loved people so much He never ever imposed on anyone. Like, I, I hate conflict. How many people are conflict avoiders? Okay, so we got like, 50 and then 50 liars, I think. So most of us hate conflict. Like we're the most conflict-avoidant generation, right? And so we we really hate conflict. But but Jesus like almost instigates conflict wherever he goes. Like look at the imposition that he makes. He he says Zacchaeus, I need some food. Come down out of the tree. Go fix me dinner. That's bold. That's pretty bold. It's not Zacchaeus. Do you want to hang out? Can I have you for dinner? It's like, I mean, if someone did this to me, i was like, no. <laughs> like, go fix your own dinner. We can hang out afterwards, maybe, or something like that. Like, you know, like, yeah, hey, come on, Zacchaeus, I want to hang out. Go fix me dinner, and, by the way, I'm going to bring, like, my 30 closest friends. Right? And he's like, sure, Jesus. Like, it's an incredible imposition. Um, And what I love about this closing... Amen. <laughs> Some of the guys are like, amen, food. Um, what I love about the closing of this passage is that, that Jesus... It could have just ended there. oh, I love you as a kid. But Jesus Jesus says some powerful things in the last couple of uh, verses. He says, I came to seek and save that which was lost. This is a revealing by Jesus of his core identity. Of how he understood his own mission on this earth. The purpose of his life. I came to seek. And save that which was lost. And I want to be very clear. Um, I love also. I love that like we don't seek Jesus. He's actually the one that's seeking us. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> I mean, that's great to know right? that there's a God in this world who is seeking, pursuing, passionately after you. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. So, so Jesus is not ultimately like he did not exist to provide for us a great model of uh, nonviolent resistance. This is one of the ways we really think of him. He was not some historical lesson on morality. He was not a wise teacher, nor a good prophet. Because he claimed to be God. If he wasn't the one true living God, he was a horrible teacher, and he was a false prophet. And false prophets are killed. Jesus is none of those things. He was God in flesh, sent in order to heal people. In a world that is broken. To restore them. This was his singular purpose. I always wonder, reading through this, this is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, right? I remember thinking, just like a year ago when I was reading it, it's like Zacchaeus is right there, when Jesus says this about him. Like, I wonder if Zacchaeus was like uh, Jesus. You know, I'm right here, right? You just referred to me as lost in front of like your 30 closest friends. You know, we, we don't see Zacchaeus respond like that, does he? Like, I, I love that this passage really—it's like, the truth part of what we're talking about. Um, I'm not, I, to, I don't want to explain the lostness away. Zacchaeus wasn't just on the wrong path. He wasn't misdirected. He wasn't like, "Oh, I'll get to that later." He, he was lost without salvation. And I know that that sounds harsh. I remember the first time I heard it, and I was like, let's fight. <laughs> like, I'm lost? Let's throw it down. What do you mean I'm lost? Like, I, I did not love hearing that the first time I heard it. And, and eventually I came to realize that I need to blame Jesus for that. He's the one who said it. And, and so I want to be really clear about what we believe about the gospel what we refer to, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is that things are so difficult that, that those of you that are seeking God don't just need to do a little bit better. Because I feel like Christians fall into this trap of like basically telling you that Jesus is all about you being a good moral person. That it's not the gospel. It's moralistic deism, and it's not Christian. What we, what we believe is this. Things are so difficult We need to be rescued. I don't need a to-do list to be nice to old ladies and read my Bible every day. Those are both really good things. Especially taking care of old ladies. What you need and I need, according to Jesus, is to be found. Right? To be renewed, redeemed, restored. He doesn't want to offer you some cheap fake spirituality but he wants to be in the most shameful scared part of your life and not and to sit there with you to, to redeem you in it to be with you in it and to take you out of it. Those places where we least think God wants us are the places where he wants to go with us so he can change us are lost people that need to be found lost people that need to be found Finally, the last thing. So We've we been talking a lot of stuff tonight. A lot of good stuff, right? Um, th- this is the last thing. For those of you that are looking for Jesus, you are going to find Him. He lives at the intersection of Alabama and Englewood. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he doesn't actually live by Alabama and Englewood. Um, he lives at the intersection of grace and and truth. Okay? Jesus. The Jesus I never knew. The Jesus that is greater than the both of the false images we talked about earlier. The Jesus of the New Testament lives at the intersection of grace and truth. John in his gospel, the first chapter, says that through law, through Moses, we got the law. Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. And we see this in the passage in a number of ways, but namely in his interaction with Zacchaeus. It was an act of great love for Jesus to eat and share a meal with a tax collector. It's a statement of brotherhood, of companionship, of of being with him and loving him. It was the most intimate thing you could do in that culture. That's why the religious people were like, why is he doing that? <laughs> that's why they were upset. I mean, Jesus takes the person. No one wants to be with him and says, I love you. I want to I be intimate and in relationship with you. Grace. But we see that tension held in Christ's life with truth, right? Jesus at no point says, Oh, Zacchaeus, you don't need to do anything that radical. <laughs> like That's kind of crazy. Like You had a lot of stuff. You don't have any stuff anymore. Like I could use some stuff. You don't need to give up all your worldly possessions. You know, just stay the way that you were, with your cheating and your greed, your scheming, and your lying. You know, I kind of, I just love you the way you are. You just need to realize I love you, and no, you don't really need to change anything about your life. As long as you're happy, you do what you got to do. That's not the Christ of the New Testament. Jesus in this passage and all over. Is the intersection of grace and truth. He's the God that tells a prostitute caught in adultery, No one here condemns you, neither do I condemn you. Grace. And then the last line of that passage says, Go and sin no more. Truth. If you want to find the real Jesus, he is living at the intersection of grace and truth. And and that's that's the Jesus of the New Testament. That's the Jesus of history. Not one that we've made in our own image. Not one the church likes better. The real deal. Jesus lives at the intersection of grace and truth. So for those of us that are on this journey, which is all of us... (laughs) I hope that that Zacchaeus stands for you as a great example and that we can learn a lot. This isn't isn't rainbows and jelly beans, right? This is intense stuff. This is a lifelong uh, greedy man who's who's radically transformed. This is sharing life with people that everyone else has given up on. This This is grace and truth. This is the Jesus I never knew but the one that I I want to know. (laughs) And I want to know him well. Um, So tonight, what we're going to do, talk a little bit about um, response time to um, some of the things that we've talked about, uh, who Christ is. There's going to be some music playing. um, And I want to talk a little bit about responding to Jesus in the way that Zacchaeus responded to him. Jesus usually called people to respond in public ways. All the time, pretty much. It's hard finding ways in which he called people to re- respond privately. And so there's always this public element of interacting with who Christ is and making decisions about who he is. And so for the rest of our time together, I want to be really clear. Like, we don't want to manipulate anybody, right? Like, I'm not down with the manipulation. Um, the thing that I believe about God is that he's seeking you more than I ever could, and so I don't need to twist your arm, right? But If you know God's doing stuff in your life, we want to give you a chance to respond. So don't invent stuff. Like I am trying to say, like if God's not tugging on you, like then don't, don't invent a tug, right? Like, but if He is, like if you've been, for me, I I, I was hanging out with Christians for years, and people were like, "Finally, dude, when are you going to just become a Christian? Like, when are you just going to let everyone know about this love that for Jesus that you have that you're keeping secret?" Um, And I was like, "You know what? You're right." I, I I need to go ahead and do this. Like I actually want to follow Christ, and I kind of been just kind of waiting to do it. Um. And so I want, to, I want to read this passage for you before we do that. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Second Corinthians three. And so, like, we should believe that God is always transforming and converting us. Like, conversion is not something that happens once. It happens your whole life long. Like, I've been a Christian for 14 years, and I need Jesus more today than I did 14 years ago, right? And so, um, for all of us, I want to walk you guys through some thoughts that you could be reflecting on um, as we'll have some music and stuff playing. So, uh, we all are asking, how can God be transforming me? First group of people. Maybe you maybe you are a Christian since you're three. I know there are some people in this room who are like this. I marvel at you guys. Like I know people like, I went down and received Jesus when I was four years old. I couldn't even dress myself when I was four years old. How'd you become a Christian at that age? That's amazing. And so for you, like you've always like seen yourself as being a Christian. But maybe at this point in your life, your heart is hard. Is there a zeal for God in your life that you had 10 years ago? Isn't it kind of weird when people say that new Christians are the best evangelists because they're so excited about God? So I've been with Jesus for 15 years, so I should be bored? Really? Do you have a zeal and excitement for God? If not, then I want you to be able to stand with Zacchaeus and others and say, Jesus, I want you to transform me today. What's that look like? Um, everyone's got these sheets of paper. You would be processing through them. Like, like You can actually use these. As right? so we're going to use these, you can mark where you're at on this as you reflect. So maybe if you're someone who's been a Christian your whole life, you feel really disconnected from God, you might want to say, I want to join a Bible study. I don't know what, what your response is, but if God asks you to respond in a way, then do it. We want you to put it down on that piece of paper because we want to make sure you get connected somewhere where you can be in community with other people. Maybe you follow Christ. Maybe you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Last couple years. But then you you think about Zacchaeus' life and you look at yours and you go, wait a minute, nothing really changed. Like, I'm following Jesus, but, like, nothing really changed in my life. And that's a great place for you to ask the Lord, like, Lord, did you you want me to give stuff up? And I just didn't. (laughs) Um... What are you wanting to do in me today? What is it, God, right, that, that you, you want to do in me? Where is the transformation? Ask those questions as we um, come to a time. So you, you, maybe you find yourself like Zacchaeus. Like you actually have been hanging around Christians, and, and you actually really want to follow Christ. You want to follow him then I want to invite you today to, to do that and to tell your friends that you've been visiting with. Do it. If God is doing that in your heart, then do it. There's a, a, a thing that you can mark it "Today I want to follow Christ today. I want someone to talk to me about that. Um, and then finally, maybe you're someone that's like, you know, I'm interested in some of this Jesus stuff. I'm interested in some of the questions we didn't get to talk about, like the reliability of the New Testament or uh, some of those other things. Well, There'll be an announcement in a minute about these things that, uh, this chapter's calling gigs. Groups investigating Yahweh, Led by students. You get to ask pretty much any questions you want about Jesus in a safe place. It's awesome. Like, I wish we had gigs when I was a student, because I needed a safe place to ask my weird questions about Christ. And I didn't have that place. Um, maybe that's you. Maybe you're moving from, like, I'm really cynical to, I, I actually might want to see Jesus a little bit. Um, The mark like, hey, I'm interested in gigs. When they start up, tell me about them, right? And so what I want to close with is just letting you guys know is that the kind of Jesus we've talked about tonight is one who demands a response from us, whether you are meeting him for the first time or you've met him for 30 years. And so if God is doing something in your heart, and I believe he is, then we want to give you a space to respond and to tell you that responding is important and vital. Let me pray for us. Jesus, there is nobody like you. There's a book in the Bible that says no one's ever seen God. But if you've seen Jesus, then you have seen God in His And so I just want to say thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for being a God who is is bold enough to invade our lives and inconvenience us because you love us, to tell us the truth and not allow us to live in something that's false. Thank you. Thank you for you're the God that does not condemn, but restores and redeems. Thank you for grace and for truth. And Lord, I just want to pray for my friends. I know that you're doing some stuff here. And so where you are working, give your people the boldness to respond. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name.